Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you for listening to the Wesley Memorial Church podcast. This is Pastor Clark here. Just want to say thank you for tuning in and listening. We're beginning an exciting new Advent sermon series called Advent Between Two Worlds. And you're going to hear a sermon that we did just this past Sunday on that and how we can look at Christ's birth and Christ's future coming. And in between those two stories, how we find ourselves in this glorious story of God during this Advent season. We also invite any of you to join us for worship, either online or in person at 8.30 and 11 traditional in our sanctuary or 9.45 in contemporary in our dining hall. You can go to our website, wesleymemorial.org to learn more. Thanks again for listening. God bless each of you. And we hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Many years ago, the broadcaster, famous broadcaster, Larry King, who I thought had passed away, but I looked him up and he's actually still alive, um, was on CNN for decades, right? And he had Larry King Live every night. It's a hugely popular show. And Larry King interviewed more celebrities and famous people and politicians and uh, entertainers than anyone. He'd interviewed thousands of people, Larry King. An incredible career. And Larry King, one time, uh, probably about 20 years ago, was asked the question, if you can interview anybody in history, who would you interview? And Larry King said, without hesitation, Jesus Christ. It's a true story. And he said, I would want to ask him one question. Were you born of a virgin? Because he said, the answer to that question would explain history to me. That's what Larry King said. Larry King understands the uh, nature of the virgin birth, that it's pivotal. Because if Jesus was conceived in a supernatural way, then, and he was in the womb of Mary. If he, that had happened, all the truth claims about himself, everything he said and did, it's true. All the miracles, all the atoning and everything, his sacrifice. But if he was not conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary, then he's not God. He's just another guy. Now, if he was born of a virgin, then Jesus was and is the only perfect person who has ever lived, the only blameless person who has ever lived, uncorrupted by sin. But without the virgin birth, Christianity is a house of cards that collapses with a fraudulent foundation. He's just another guy. But in Luke chapter 1, what does the, the angel announce to Mary? The angel says, this child you will have, and side note, the angel gives news here. The angel doesn't give advice. The angel says, God has chosen you. You will have this baby. News is something that has already happened or is happening. He's saying, I'm bringing you news. God has chosen you. Your child, he says, will be holy. It will be holy, set apart from every other child that's ever been born without blemish, without default, without any kind of defect, completely moral and perfect, your child. Look at these words of Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, probably about 15 years old. And he came to her and said, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 
And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. There was no stress about name choices with this birth. She was already told the name. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, John the Baptist. And this is the sixth month for her, who is said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, beautifully, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed her. Now in a scientific, postmodern way we are in this world, for many people, many people now have no religious affiliation. If they heard this story, they would say, that's a tremendous leap of faith you're asking me to take here. That a, a, a young girl, a virgin, was somehow impregnated by the Holy Spirit. How could a child be conceived without a physical seed, without a father? Well, for one, God doesn't ask anyone to check their brains at the door before they make a leap of faith. In fact, we can use reason to make sense of what we're hearing. Now, if you're moving in the direction of faith, you're always moving in the right direction, always. But we can use reason, so bear with me here. For one, just because someone can't accept an an immaculate conception or a virgin birth, it doesn't mean it isn't true or it didn't happen. That's just your opinion. The angel was given this message and the angel said, it will come to pass. God creating a child in the womb of a virgin is not very far-fetched. And let me explain why. Now, who here, are you at home too, who here has children? You've ever had children? We all wearily raise our hand. We all have children. Okay, a lot of people have children. For those of us who have birthed children or raised our kids, it's easy to see the work of God in every stage of the process, isn't it? It really is. It's a miraculous event every single time. Every one of us, me and you, we're all miracles. It's, it's improbable that we're even here. But when you have your first kid, it's a real shock to your schedule. You want to go out and get some pizza? Uh, can't do that anymore. You want to go get some ice cream? Want to go to a movie back when people used to go to movies? Can't go do that. But you're tired. You're tired a lot. One time I was so tired, I went up to brush my teeth and I started to put lanolin on my toothbrush instead of toothpaste. Thankfully, I didn't brush my teeth with it. Another time I was trying to make coffee half asleep and the French press I was holding, I just dropped the whole thing in the sink and it shattered into a million pieces. But when you have your first kid, your first child, what struck me the most, that I wasn't, a lot of things you're not prepared for, but one of them was how largely... Out of, the, out of our hands, the process was. Growing a child is an act of faith. It's a process that's free, really, of our in- intervention or influence. If you read through how we developed in our mother's wombs, it's an incredible week-by-week journey that happens, really. Week four, we're about, I don't know, that big, maybe? Some doctor in the room might tell me different, but we're about that big. Week four, 
Week four, the heart just starts beating. Just starts. Out of nowhere. And week five, our eyes begin to form. The eye. Blood begins to circulate through our little bodies. If you just consider the powerhouse of the eye, the eye itself, the retina, one of your retinas, is covered in 130 million light-sensitive receptors called rods and cones. These signals travel from your eye to your brain, how they know this, I don't know, at a rate of a billion per second. Vision alone is a miracle to me. When you consider that our eyes can only produce two-dimensional images and somehow the brain turns into a 3D image. Even Charles Darwin, famous for the theory of evolution, he admitted that the eye, vision, is a real problem for his theory. Where he wrote in The Origin of Species, to suppose that the eye could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd to the highest degree. And that is just the miracle of vision let alone the entire human frame. It's not so improbable that God could form a human life in the womb of a virgin because he has formed me and you. It's not so far-fetched. God is always creating new life. He shaped us in our mother's wombs. As Psalm 139 says, For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. See, here's what I'm getting at. If we're honest with ourselves, any conception is a miracle. Any new life is an act of God. Another famed uh, non-theist and a brilliant man, physicist Stephen Hawking, gave his opinion of the origin of creation and how matter is created, where he said this, quote, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. Let that sink in. Spontaneous creation is the reason there is something rather than nothing. Why the universe exists. Why we exist. So my eye, your eye, just spontaneously created itself, according to Stephen Hawking. On its face, this statement is a statement of faith to me. This sounds like virgin birth territory. To create something from nothing? And yet the same people who would scientifically deny a virgin birth, a brilliant man like Hawking, who was an atheist, would then turn around and postulate that the universe can and will, and will create itself from nothing. Talk about faith. It's not a matter of whether you believe the virgin birth. It is a matter of which virgin birth people will choose to accept. But with Christ's immaculate conception and birth, God is creating new life. But this, uh, this new life, a human seed is not needed. He has ancestors through Joseph, but a human seed is not needed. He's not going to drag the sins of Adam into the mix. C.S. Lewis wrote that God is doing now through the virgin birth what he's always been doing, small and close, but he's doing it in a different fashion from every woman who conceives. He does it this time without a line of human physical fathers. But even when he uses human ancestors, it is not the less God who gives life. There was, of course, a unique reason for it. God was creating not simply a man, but the man who was to be himself. 
he was creating man anew, was beginning at this dive and human point, a new creation of all things. The whole soiled and worn universe quivered at this direct injection of essential life, direct, uncontaminated, not drained through the crowded history of nature. What Mary is experiencing at this moment of Luke chapter 1 is she finds herself in between these two worlds of the natural and the supernatural. And she rightly asks the question, how in the world could this be? How could this happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel authoritatively, with a, with a message from God, reminds her and consequently reminds us, nothing's impossible with God. Nothing. You and I are here. How much harder would it be for God to create a life in the womb of a virgin? But Mary finds herself in one of these thin moments in our reality where the natural and the supernatural are both at work. And this veil that separates us from the supernatural is removed from her eyes for a moment. And she sees things as they really are. See, our world is a good world in many ways, and God loves it, but it's not the real world. It's not all there is. The universe is massive, and there is so much more that is yet to come that we cannot see. And Mary experiences both at the same time because Jesus is going to be born from that eternal, supernatural dimension that we all sense is there. And our hearts deep down know it is there, but our heads can say no. That rationally doesn't make sense, so I write it off. Let me think, think about it this way. You know, we have dreams every night, right? Some dreams are just weird. I've had some of the weird, I'm not going to let you know all my weird dreams. That would be really weird as well. Not a confession any of us want to make in the church. But we have strange dreams. I remember, again, when my wife was uh, pregnant with our first child, I had a dream that I could see him in the womb. And he was beautiful, and he was, he was sort of, you know, floating there. And then he turned and he smiled at me with a full set of teeth. And it was like, oh, God, this dream turned creepy real quick. And I woke up. It's like, please. That was... So when he was born, I was looking at his mouth. I was just ready to see if he had a full set of teeth. I don't... Is that even possible? Um, I love to, I have had this dream many times where you dream of flying. I love that dream, right? What a great dream. What a great feeling. You can feel what it feels like to fly when you, isn't that incredible? You... It feels like you're flying in your dream. Of course, we've dreamed of falling. That's never any good. Uh, thankfully, you know, you've never hit the ground. Apparently you die or whatever. I don't think that's true either. But, um, but when you dream like the dream of flying, you dream it and you think, this feels right. This feels appropriate. Deep in the human heart, I believe there are desires that nothing in this world can satisfy. Nothing. Only God can. As Blaise Pascal famously said, there's a God-shaped vacuum within all of us that only Jesus Christ can fill and bring peace. He's the only one. Now, we desire to experience the supernatural. We desire to escape death. We desire to know a love that we will never lose. We desire to live forever with loved ones and to tr ultimately triumph over evil. That's why we love great fairy tale stories like Sleeping Beauty or other ones you could think of, or even Star Wars, or Mandalorian. Man, great show. Been checking that out lately. But that's why we love those fantastic tales. Because deep down, we know 
that we need a good guy that won't die and a hero that will save the day. We know that there is indeed an evil that has cast a spell over humanity. There's a curse that must be broken. And that we know that there must be a noble prince who will break that spell. And there is a love from which we will never be parted. And yes, we will indeed fly someday. Our desire innately within us for redemption, for salvation, this feeling that we know something isn't as it should be, it speaks to a spiritual need for that very salvation. C.S. Lewis said this succinctly when he said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And he's right. See, at Christmas, Jesus' immaculate conception, his virgin birth, it punches a hole between the natural and the supernatural, those two worlds, just punches a hole right through it. It punches a hole between the real and the ideal, between the eternal and the temporal. And those of us who are wise, by the grace of God, like, like Larry King, will stand up and we'll pay attention that the virgin birth of Jesus is simply not just a religious thought that you can take or leave. It is the pivotal moment of history. The pivotal, perhaps even more than the resurrection. Because without an incarnation, you have no resurrection. The advent of Jesus is not just another fairy tale written in a dusty old book. As it's recorded in Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, Matthew goes through great pains to show Jesus' genealogy. Why would he do that? Why would he show how indeed he does go through the line of David as the angel foretold? Because Jesus' life and genealogy is rooted in history. He was a real person. He had earthly parents, a real family tree. And even though the supernatural fairy tales that we love may not factually be true, the truth of Jesus' virgin birth means that the stories we love, they're not really just escapism at all. In a sense, the supernatural realities in which fairy tales point ultimately will come true in Jesus. Jesus' virgin birth and eventual rescue of our planet is the narrative upon which all other rescue stories find their origin. Now, someone listening today could find yourself between two other worlds of Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, just a guy, just another choice on the spiritual buffet line of America, take it or leave it, or he was born of a virgin, and he was God, and everything he said and did was true. You cannot sit in the middle of these two choices. It is a black and white decision. And someone today is in that place. You don't know. Either he is Messiah or he is not to you. Go back to Larry King. I never thought I'd refer to Larry King so much in a sermon. But go back to Larry King. If Jesus was born of a virgin, if that is true, and I think it definitely was, then it changes everything. If he was born perfect, holy, sinless, then he's the only one who can save. He's the only perfect sacrifice for our sin, for your sin. But if he was just a good man, just a guy, 
His life can't atone for anything. But the good news is that God wants us to choose that for ourselves. Scripture doesn't give us that option. It is either one or the other. The angel sent with a message from God says, I bring you good news of great joy to all people. This is good news to know that Jesus is born of a virgin. It's not something to be discredited and doubted and cast aside. It is good news because he has come to save you. He has come to save you and me from our sin so that we might live together, so that we, we might fully realize those desires that we have deep down, that we know are there, and they point to something bigger than ourselves. But what will you choose? Born of a virgin or just another guy? Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for the amazing plan of salvation that you have unfolded upon the earth. That in your uh, immeasurable wisdom, Father, you came under the cover of darkness, the threat of death, born in a cave, in a dirty feeding trough, the majesty of who you are and the mundane, the mundane qualities of our lives and our world. And you came not as a uh, conquering king, but you came as a helpless baby. You came and bore our sin, but you came and said, as Hebrews says, that we don't have a high priest that cannot um, understand our weaknesses, but that you lived a life as we live. But it was perfect. And I pray for anyone here and now that is listening or watching and they don't know that truth for themselves. It is a choice we can make today. That salvation you give us, God, is a gift. You have come to set us free, to save us from our sin. And if someone listening has never made a commitment to you, Jesus, I pray they would do it today, now. We are guaranteed nothing, but God, you come by your grace and that your Holy Spirit will affirm within us the truth of what this is. You will remove the scales from our eyes. You will give us a glimpse of what is yet to come. You will give us peace in our heart that no one else, nothing can touch. God, I believe you're saying to somebody, stop playing games today. Too much is at stake. I came and did too much for you to quit ignoring who I am to you. Give me your heart. Give me your life. I came to set you free so that you wouldn't just be a good person, but so that you would live again as to know me as the light of the world. And God, your desire for us is to come freely into your light. That none of us are perfect. None of us are faultless. But you want us to come willingly into your light and to run into your open arms. You indeed are the light of the world. It is good news of great joy, O oh God. We worship you at this time. Let's stand and sing.